If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student, and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature, and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast, the Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors, observing the return of wonder and curiosity. Curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. Did you know that Outdoor Classrooms improve children's emotional, intellectual, and behavioral development while helping foster the development of creativity, problem-solving, independence, and confidence? The problem is, overwhelm, fear, and a lack of time can often make achieving any Outdoor Classroom vision into reality more trouble than it's worth. Did you know that we have a membership community at Outdoor Classrooms? It's the leading training community for educators and parents interested in cultivating outdoor classrooms and creating nature-based curriculum. It's a membership to support, collaborate, educate, and bring like-minded educators together. And it's packed with in-depth, practical training and resources for all aspects of planning, running, and growing a sustainable outdoor classroom, plus the community support you need to ensure your teaching gardens achieve their full potential. Hello, today we have Becca Katz. She has been a nature-based educator for over two decades. She has worked as a classroom teacher, administrator, and wilderness expedition leader in private and public schools. Becca's many classrooms have included a strip mall, storefront, windowless, modular units, a forest and schoolyards next to her schools, local public lands, open spaces and park, and wilderness classrooms from the Canadian Arctic to the Bolivian Andes. When she discovered the research proving the benefits of an apple-a-day nature connections for learners and educators, Becca co-founded that good-natured learning to empower formal educators in schools to integrate nature-based learning into their routine teaching and classroom design practices. Good Nature Learning's core program is a professional fellowship for educators. They also run workshops and collaborate with partners to activate nature near schools for learning and grow the broader nature-connected learning movement. In addition, Becca writes about mainstreaming nature-based learning in formal education in her Substack newsletter, Learning by Nature. Becca holds a BA and an MS from Stanford University. More important than any degree Becca has learned from, with and in nature over hundreds of days and nights spent camping and traveling in the wilderness with students, friends, and families. Without further ado, 
Becca Katz. Hello, everybody. We have Becca Katz here from Good Natured Learning. And hello, Becca. How are you? Hi, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Terrific. I just want to jump right in and have you maybe introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about where you have come from before Good Natured Learning and and then eventually how you got there. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you today. I think I would start by just saying that if we go, I guess if we go back a ways to when I was little. I grew up in Wisconsin and I grew up in a in a forest. Uh, my house was, I think, kind of considered to be in the suburbs of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And the forest that um, our house was in was in a small neighborhood. And my nature connection there was really routinely going down to a creek that was called Lowe's, that is called Lowe's Creek. And Lowe's Creek um, was just like a marvelous place for us. And I spent a lot of time down there thinking and planning on how I was going to get to the Mississippi. And <laughs> I would have taken a while. I did not actually make that distance. And I did spend a lot of time adventuring and did make the distance from, you know, my house down to my friend Laura's house. And we would have lunch and play in the creek and pretty amazing place to to connect with um, with nature just in my backyard. and. So that was really one of my earliest nature connections was in that in that forest and in that creek. And then I had the privilege of going to a summer camp in northern Wisconsin that's called Camp Manitowish. And Manitowish has sort of a traditional camp structure. And then after you do your four years of camp, you actually go on these longer expeditions. And so essentially, I went from doing a three-day canoe trip to doing a 50-day canoe trip over the course of my years there. And then I, I went on to lead a lot of those trips as well and um, backpacking and kayaking and other things too. So it was that was really my introduction to wilderness and nature. And I, I would say I got pretty obsessed with it. And as such, I actually went into outdoor education and I worked in outdoor education for quite some time. And I really saw the power of these immersive wilderness experiences, right? They're super meaningful to kids, super meaningful to me as a facilitator of those experiences. And I got to see that firsthand, which was really powerful. And around the time that I was I was working in a school called the High Mountain Institute up in Leadville, Colorado, which was is a semester school where students come from all over the country for one semester of their junior year of high school. And they spend six of the 16 weeks in the backcountry on wilderness trips. And it's a pretty unconventional model. And it's kind of like a domestic study abroad experience. And these students had an amazing opportunity to really immersively connect with nature. And I, each day, would go past our, our public schools in our community and drive to this private school where students, you know, were coming from lots of different places. Um, however, primarily there was a lot of affluence in that school um, due to its being a, a private school, a boarding school, and a pretty unique uh, experience. And so I was driving past our public schools and I've always been someone who has said, oh gosh, like nature connection should be for everyone. And for me, I sort of through a series of really fortunate timing connections, I was able to take on a role facilitating an initiative to actually connect local students with nature in school. And in that experience, that was with an organization called Get Outdoors Leadville, and it was a grant-funded role. And in that grant-funded role, I had a I had an awesome time bringing in outside partners to help facilitate really rich kind of wilderness um, or immersive nature experiences for students, ranging from a day to multi-day experiences. 
And that was really great and super fun, lots of learning, plenty of mistakes, plenty of um, successes. And that was really great. And there was the sense, I had the sense of sort of, I would say, I would say it was sort of a constant sort of anxiety about the time limited nature of what we were doing because there was this grant that we were spending the funds and it was really powerful. And I was watching the impact and the positivity that was happening in our community and feeling really grateful and also feeling really worried about, you know, would we be able to keep chasing grants? Would we be able to keep funding these experiences? And around that same time, uh, or, and around that same time, I basically started thinking about, okay, how could we have this, you know, continue and why are we doing this anyhow? And so I zoomed out and I said, why do we focus on nature connections in school? Why are these important? And really came down to the benefits for humans, right? The mental health, the physical health, the social, emotional well-being, the benefits specific to learners and learning. So like why in school? I think the improvements in cognition in terms of attention and working memory, improvements in learning behaviors in terms of engagement and collaboration, problem solving, creativity. And then I think lots more, this is more on the pedagogy side, but I think more active learning happening. So student student-led, student-centered, playful inquiry and problem-based are oftentimes linked with nature-based instruction. And then I think the improved academic performance, if we want to go yeah. to the bottom line that a lot of people are focused on, we can we can go straight to the test scores if that's what we want. It's not my favorite area to focus on, honestly, because I think it is actually such a low bar to set for, for this stuff in terms of like, that's not really where I think we should be striving. I think we should be striving for humans who are happy and engaged and alive. So, but they also have improved test scores and improved um, academic performance, if that's what we want to focus on. And then I think the planetary benefits were the other why that were really coming to me um, in terms of the relationship. And I know you've, you've done a whole episode on this, but the relationship between developing as a nature champion or someone who, you know, acts with compassion and care toward more than human nature it's much more likely to happen when you've had early nature connections, especially those that are mediated by trusted adults and teachers can really do that. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, well, if that's the why, there's a lot of reasons. So it's pretty compelling. <laughs> and um, in my mind, I I thought, okay, how can we sustain this in school without doing it, all this like outside partnership work, which was great. And I hoped that it would continue. And I wanted to figure out a way to do that that would be more embedded and more reliable day to day. And so started thinking about how we could have this be part of the way teachers do their work every day, because teachers are part of schools and schools. And I was working, this was a public school district that I was working in a title one school district um, with a majority Latin student body, mostly immigrants from Mexico. Um, and it's a ski town. So it's a, it's a bedroom community to the ski resorts in Colorado. And so lots of the folks who work in the service industry live in, in Leadville. And so, and then the commute to, um, to Vail and to Copper Mountain and other places. And so I thought, okay, well, we're in this school where the teachers and students can really adopt this. And at the same time as this happened, thinking about how to integrate it into mainstream teaching practice, there was a study that came out in 2019 um, led by Kathy Jordan and Ming Kuo. And it was about, it was essentially talking about how, like the cause and effect relationship between nature exposure and improvements in academics, 
social emotional well-being and environmental stewardship and that was a pretty awesome thing because it coincided with all the stuff that we knew but it was this like kind of it was a meta-analysis so they were taking our an integrated mini study and so they were taking this and and trying to bring it together and they came out and these this is an nsf funded study and they came out and they said that it was time to take nature-based learning seriously as a resource for teaching and learning in formal education and in my mind that was such uh, that was like they kind of I don't know threw down the gauntlet for all yeah. of us to say how do we make this how do we integrate this into our day to day instruction and so I think nature based learning if you look at that and you define it super basically as learning outdoors right this is your outdoor classroom work mm-hmm. or bringing elements of nature indoors for learning and this can happen in with any educator in any school anywhere in any curriculum model with any age group. And with any content area, I think that when you see that possibility, you start to think about, okay, how can we mainstream nature-based learning? And so that is sort of the story of how then my background and my interests coalesced and and then this need that I had seen in my work had coalesced into what became Good Nature Learning. Good Nature Learning. And you developed this approach from your kind of recipe of all of these different experiences and different stories. So how did that approach come to be? Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky kind of around the time when when I was having this research had come out and I was seeing the need for it to be integrated and baked into the day-to-day practices of teachers. I also was in conversation with a friend of mine and her name's Erin Allman, and she's my co-founder with Good Natured Learning. Mm-hmm. And she at the time was working with pre-service teachers and she was really looking for something super hopeful to, to grab, on, grab onto. And nature-based learning really became that for her. And I think she and I sort of mind melded our thinking about sort of my on the ground experience as a practitioner of outdoor education and, you know, trying to do professional development with the educators in our district and then her professional background, really facilitating pre, you know, learning for pre-service teachers to go into practice. And so she was able to take sort of the nature-based learning stuff that I had been sort of stumbled, I I would say stumbled into in some ways, and she was able to kind of elevate it with some, you know, more heightened pedagogical rigor, I would say, you know, she would bring in things like Zaretta Hammond's work with um, culturally responsive pedagogies, who would talk about universal design for learning, how does this all integrate, right? And so we started really elevating this from, hey, this is like great stuff for teachers to be doing every day. And, you know, how can they like tweak their practices here and there to being like, this is actually really meaningful, you know, worldview of how teachers could be approaching their work. And so we got into, you know, creating this vision that all students and educators have equitable access to nature's benefits in school. I mean, it's incredible. The the equity piece is so important and I so appreciate that piece. So, well, and that's, um, I think it was just so great to, that was part of the magic of, I think, Erin and I, you know, and our expertise together and thinking about how does this really become something for all learners? And, you know, and then, and then learning about even the research you know, about the equigenic effects of nature connection or what seems to be promising in that arena. And for listeners who haven't heard that term before, before equigenic is basically that it has disproportionately positive impacts for the students who are most affected by systemic injustices, right? And so you start to see an actual closing of the, of achievement gaps and we can, you know, probably go on for a really long time in a totally different conversation about the achievement gap and maybe the inequitable setup that that is to begin with. However, 
if we're talking about just academic outcomes and and success in school and healthiness and well-being and we talk about health equity and housing equity and you know lots of these different educational equity pieces we start to see the the potential of nature able to sort of bring up those who are most affected by systemic injustices and disproportionately positively impact them, then that's something we should absolutely be doing in schools. So you developed this approach for good nature learning. Can you tell us a little bit more about the philosophy, maybe some specific programs that you're working on? Yeah. So basically good nature learning has three, we do three things. We build educator capacity and that's in both instructional and classroom design practices to integrate nature-based learning. We try to activate nearby nature. So this is really in line with your work with outdoor class classrooms, you know, it doesn't have to be on school property. It could be a park across the street. It could be, um, you know, 10 minute walk down the sidewalk to get there. Hopefully it's down the sidewalk and not down a busy highway, but it might be that too. And then trying to activate those spaces also as outdoor classrooms. And then also more broadly, sort of what you're about in general, I think with the podcast, but trying to grow this broader movement, right? Because we're, nature-based learning is our how, but Nature connected learning is what we're all sort of getting after because of the whys that I've already discussed. And so we just try to be part of this conversation because we think that all of these things are really important, right? The immersive things that I was helping facilitate with Get Outdoors Leadville and partner organizations in the schools are really amazing. And I hope that every student gets to have a multi day camping experience as part of their school. And I also know that it's going to be essential that we build up. You know, it's a both and situation where we want to have this day to day, what we sort of refer to as apple a day nature connections. <laughs> um, and I it's love good. That, because actually, it's a good symbol. I think that the teacher and the apple and all those pieces sort of, you know, an apple for your teacher, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It kind of feels like it. Yeah, I love that. Actually, it's so simple. And that's what it is. It's just go outdoors. And yeah. So the, the, then you created a, a whole philosophy around. I mean, what you've really been talking about this whole time. Yeah. So we really come in, in terms of the work that we do with capacity building, which I would say is our, our sort of core work, right? And those other two things are very important to us also. But the capacity building, when we when we approach it, we, we start from a standpoint of saying teachers and educators are experts. There is a surfeit of people in the world who are willing to say that they know how to do teaching better than teachers do, or they know how to, you know, run a school better than a principal does, and they just have not been in schools. Um, And so as someone who was a teacher myself, and I still consider myself an educator, but I'm working with adults now, but was a classroom teacher, I know that being a teacher is an incredibly nuanced and sophisticated profession. And we come and we say, you're an expert. We are here not to tell you how to do your job or what to do even, but rather to equip you with skills and empower you to innovate in a way that will that will bring you joy, that will bring you more efficacy in your work day to day. And that can become a how you do this. So I've never been a second grade teacher, for example. I taught high school Spanish. And so I'm not going to pretend that I know what that's like. If I'm meeting with a second grade teacher, I'm never going to come to them and say, here's what curriculum you should be using and here's how you should be doing this. Rather, I'm going to say, wow, you're a second grade teacher. That must be really hard. And I respect the work that you're doing. And here are some things that I know in terms of the value and benefit of nature for learners. So the big why. And here are some skills and tips and tricks of the trade that I've learned over years of being an outdoor educator in very remote wildernesses, as well as in backyard wilderness that I've now translated into a way that, um, or we've now translated into day-to-day 
pedagogical practice, right? That can be implemented by anyone. And then um, so that, re- I just, can I sneak in something there? So that makes it, and I think when educators are thinking, oh, I have to go do this whole outdoor classroom thing, they think they think of it as an extra, oh my goodness, there's more that they're giving me. And I love how you're speaking to really honoring who they are and how they teach. And so, and just your, that you're really just speaking to how to merge what they're doing with the outdoors. So I just, I yeah. just wanted to note that because I think that's so important because I think there are a lot of educators who net, who haven't made that tra- transition yet that are kind of stuck like, oh, they're just giving me more stuff. And I, it's really not about that. It's really about how can we merge our indoor and outdoor classroom experience. And I love your approach. Thanks. I, it's been something that, you know, I think it became really loud and clear to me when I spent a lot of time in our schools and in, in Lake County School District up in Leadville. You know, it's a tiny rural school district in the mountains. And it became really loud and clear to me that these teachers were working in settings that were not necessarily, you know, they weren't super well resourced necessarily. They What we did have is a lot of nature right outside our doors. So that was a resource we had in abundance and lots of challenges, right? And so thinking about high poverty schools, high poverty schools are facing countless different challenges. And those teachers are seeing students show up in trauma and, you know, in in challenges in terms of learning, we had a large immigrant population, right, that adds some different layers to the learning experience, right, in terms of language acquisition of of, you know, languages in addition to any indigenous and Spanish language or whatever it was that was in our community. Those were the languages um, that were oftentimes, you know, first, second, third languages prior to then acquiring English at whatever stage the family arrived. And so I think I saw those challenges and it became very clear to me that anything that I had to do, I had, I actually had a boss in my, who's a dear friend of mine. She was the CFO of our district at the time. Her name's Kate. And she was her mantra when I took that role in our public schools connecting students to nature was it has to be a lift, not a burden. And the lift, not a burden mantra has been, uh, I would say, core tenant of the way that good natured learning has approached things, because I think that that is a message that needs to be heard loud and clear. And I think it's an actually really good sort of self check for those of us who are in more of the outdoor classroom, outdoor education nature-based education for school sort of fields to make sure that we're having that litmus test first, especially when we're approaching this work in settings that are public school settings where resources are constrained. I mean, I think actually private schools too, time is always going to be constrained. Time is always, yes. It's- so I think if we, if we say like, I, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't, I don't lie. I don't say this is no effort because that's not true, right? right. There is, there's some activation energy that's required to get to a place where you can actually integrate this day-to-day in your practice. However, what we really focus on philosophically, right, is meeting their expertise and then meeting their own goals and say, how can this be in service of what you're doing? And so helping them, really just supporting them in their own innovation, because then they are taking it and bringing it to life. And so one of the our core programs, we do some workshops here and there that are, we do a teaching students outdoors workshop. That's kind of a, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> I know that we are not the only people on the planet doing things like that. I think you do some similar work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like. And we, but our core program is this year long fellowship with educators. 
And those educators come and they deeply immerse themselves in the, the theory and practice of nature-based learning. They, they get to explore it and think about well, how does this apply to my practice? And in our cohort, we'll have a group of, say, 12 educators who all come together from different districts. And we might have a high school. In fact, right now, we have a high school environmental science teacher and we have a preschool teacher in the same cohort. Mm-hmm. They have so much rich learning that happens from each other. We have, in fact, a pair. We have Our model is to have a pair of educators from a given district or school, depending on the size, and so that they have a partner, uh, sort of a responsibility to help motivate them along and and check in with them and all the other things. And we focus, in one of our partners pairs is actually that high school environmental science teacher and a kindergarten teacher. And what's remarkable is they're able to do kind of similar, they're having, you know, some similar challenges and some different challenges, but they're able to be there for each other. And the whole cohort is this really close-knit community, which is part of what we do by intentionally launching the whole year with a five-day, four-night nature retreat, where these educate to heal and be whole in nature themselves and, you know, develop what I would sort of refer to as a shared text in nature, right? As like, hey, this is this was really good for us. And think about how that felt and how they can then bring that back for their students. And so they bring back these case studies. They develop a case study of practice. They then implement it with their students. And then we meet monthly to check in with each other, support each other, continue professional development and support. And then we're going to be coming together again at the end of the, we're only in our second our second cohort. So it's still new, but we're going to be coming together at the end of it to kind of think about what's next, what what happens when you're an alum and how do we keep the community alive? And, you know, this is some of the dialogue you and I have had offline yes. about circle community and sort of what you're doing. And I think that that is so essential and such important work. Yes, that's what I found. I found exactly we do these workshops and trainings and we go into schools and then or or even ourselves, we go to conferences and we get super excited and then you come back and then you get excited for maybe a couple months, but then what happens after that? And so that's where the circle really can be that sustainable energy and whatnot. But the circle, which is a great segue into the next question, we were actually just had a Uh, one of our live sessions the other night, and we were talking about the importance of this work. A lot of it's in early childhood education and how does how and how does that look for middle school high school and why isn't it so apparent in and people can really see how it with early childhood education and outdoor classrooms but they can't necessarily see what it looks like in middle and high school so can you share a little bit about that yeah i mean i think it's an excellent question i think one of the one of the things that's worth mentioning right off the bat is that educators at the high school level and middle school as well i would say but high school especially i think face quite a bit more scrutiny when they do this. And so that is a challenging, you know, you're swimming upstream um, in a way that I think is much more, people are kind of willing to sort of say, oh, like those kids seem like they're having so much fun when they're five and six and seven, maybe even. And then people start to think like learning needs to look a certain way and be a certain way. And by high school, there's definitely like a really strong trend of that. And so I think this gets back to the idea of nature-based learning and where we start and where we educators are innovating within their locus of control, right? Their classroom or their classrooms or, you know, their grade level team or whatever it might be. They're, they're innovating things that work in their space. And so for some of them, and this, you know, this can look, I think sort of like 
oh, you're doing the same thing, but it's just outside. And I'm like, yes, that is the place to start, right? So I think we see that as being a next right step. And at the high school level, I think it's oftentimes a really important one, right? So if you're having a Socratic seminar, why can't you be sitting outside having that Socratic seminar under a tree, right? A student might get distracted by a squirrel running by, and then they're going to remember, oh, that was right when that squirrel was doing that funny thing when it ran by, right when we were talking about this specific theme, and there might be a sticky memory that's associated with that moment, right? I had a teacher, not at the high school level, but who was teaching a history class outside that had nothing to do with nature or the outdoors. And she was teaching about early Spanish explorers and a deer walked through their classroom. And (laughs) that explorer, Juan de Ulibari, was the explorer that students, you know, all remembered, right? Because they were like, oh, you have a deer. And, you know, there was this sticky memory that was associated with it. But I would say at the high school level, small group discussions, project work, lectures, having them do worksheets on a clipboard and sitting outside, if that's what you're doing, like, I think just remembering that we know, and the research shows this, right, that traditional instruction, if we just go with baseline, like, traditional instruction that's happening in a lot of our schools still, right? That the research shows that traditional instruction outdoors is more effective than traditional instruction indoors. So if you only get that far, moving outdoors is helpful, Mm -hmm. right? And then what we see also, and this is a lot fuzzier in terms of the research base and why does it happen and what are the mechanisms for it? But I experienced this myself as a high school Spanish teacher is that moving to an outdoor classroom tends to beget more active pedagogies, right? And so all of a sudden you see more active pedagogies. And I I loved, you spoke with um, Jean Lamino in episode 43, and I was listening to, to that today. And she was talking about how forest school pedagogy is sort of this, you know, the, the name, but she was working with public schools and focusing on how like, you know, there is this level of just like, okay, read your book outside, take your spelling test outside, right? And that's better, right? And of course, it's more evolved and and exciting when all of a sudden you're doing more active, like physical kinesthetic movement because you're in an open space or students are letting their creativity is driving the discussion a little bit because, you know, now their math class is instead of measuring like cylinders in a classroom, they're actually measuring trees and comparing, you know, the tree diameters in a different plot and thinking about what percentage of trees are bigger than this diameter, what diameter within this plot. And then they're learning about percentages and fractions and other things and measurement and calculations all at the same time, data collection analysis. And so you start to see, and then they might have other questions like, why are there so many small trees that are in this area? And all the trees over here are a lot bigger. Why aren't there any small trees growing down here? And then it is this natural evolution. And I always think it's funny when I find myself using the word natural when talking about nature-based learning, but (laughs) uh, there's no real pun intended, but it is a natural evolution that seems to be where nature-based learning even just the moving of the X outside, like we're now we're measuring trees instead of plastic cylinders. Well, you know, it turns out that when you start measuring trees, there's way more questions that come up about the forest, about other, you know, about life, about the thing that the animal that walked through about, you know, the weather that day, whatever it might be that just happened naturally through observation and more, you know, student connections with each other and movement around that's so much easier to facilitate in an outdoor setting than an indoor setting, right? And so when I, when we talk about this with high schoolers, I think, I mean, I can give you a bunch of examples of ways I've seen teachers do this. Um, again, I never, I never approach teachers and say, 
I taught high school Spanish, right? So I don't come to a high school like, calculus teacher and say like, this is how you should teach calculus outdoors because right. I would be hard pressed to do that effectively. But I think, you know, to Jean, to Jean Lamino's point about nature-based forest pedagogies, right, are student-led and curiosity and creativity driven and, and really going where that happened. And what I think I'm trying to say in way too many words is that nature-based learning even at that really, really like baby step level of like, we took this activity and we did it next to the school building outside. And then we moved a little further from the school building and then we moved a little further from the school building. And all of a sudden the activity turned into something bigger and more creative and more, more evolved from a pedagogical perspective. And from a learning perspective, I think that that's really powerful. And that's sort of where I think focusing with high school educators can be really helpful and I think in general can be really helpful. And is it okay if I share, I have, there's a, a protocol that I think is really, I would say not, I don't know if I can say universally applicable, but widely applicable to educators across age ranges. Sure. I tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's called a nature gallery and it's, it is a playoff of a protocol that's used indoors all the time. Uh, or in many, many schools, it's called a gallery walk, right? Where maybe student work is featured and students walk from, uh, and this is usually done in a classroom, maybe in a library space, right? Where student work is on display. And and you go from station to station, you read and you reflect, and maybe you have some sort of prompts that you're taking notes on or whatnot when you visit these different stations. Well, you can do that same thing by hanging those same prompts in trees, right? Or you can have student reflection prompts, and you could do anything from, you know, math problems to vocabulary to to leadership reflection to, you know, brainstorming of writing activities. So it's a, it's a really, really universal strategy. And even if you don't have trees, although trees are really the ideal for that setup, right? It's the beginning of the mm-hmm. hanging the trees. Bushes work. Um, and you can even get those yard signs, like the political campaigns, mm-hmm. you can get those and just affix, if you have like an open field or whatever, you can affix things to it and maybe put a blanket in front of each station and kids can sit down and, and, you know, stop at each station. And then you get the movement between the stations and you can get some of the same content. And again, you're not so restricted. And it turns out that we feel better when we're doing activities like that. Right. And so yeah. that's an activity that works really well at, at the high school level, just as it does with younger learners and is really applicable across a lot of disciplines. I've seen teachers in most disciplines use that, I believe, at this point. So anyhow, that's kind of an example of something where I think it can be really used at the high school level. And and it, learning can still be really serious, I guess, if if that's what people are after, um, or it can still be really rigorous. And in fact, I think the, the research suggests that it's more rigorous than it would have been mm-hmm. if it was indoors. And I think it's the, the playful aspect of it that you think that, oh, they're outside and learning has to look a certain way. But I think when you add some element of play within learning, I think it, it's what you had said before, it's stickier. Learning by Nature Substack, you started a newsletter asking that question of, do you really think outdoor classrooms are rev- revolutionary? And I think we all know the answer to that. But can you speak to that as well? Yeah, I mean, do I think outdoor classrooms are revolutionary? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but this is an you're an easy crowd for that conversation. That's right. <laughs> so I know I'm, I'm probably not going to like uh, poke holes in my in my balloon right now on that one. But I think, I think it's an it's a timely question because there are just so many. I think I think it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Because I think that outdoor classrooms can be revolutionary 
for all the reasons that we've just discussed. And they're also really simple, right? Like the idea of moving learning outdoors is not new. Um, We are not inventing anything. It is very, very core to our human evolution in the natural world in terms of the way and whys of why we think, at least from a research standpoint, why we think with biophilia that we feel calmer, more regulated, all these other things. So it's, it's, you know, not revolutionary. In fact, it's kind of like evolutionarily like, yeah, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary. But I think there's, there's an education historian who I follow um, named Larry Cuban. And he is, he just recently posted about the overuse of the word transform when it comes to schools. Mm, And he had, he had Googled transform schools, like in quotes, and he got over a quarter billion hits on that phrase. And, you know, at that point, it's, it becomes pretty meaningless. And he was talking about his, um, what he referred to as an allergic reaction to that phrase, because he was just like, this is just a bunch of, my interpretation of his words was basically, this is a bunch of hand waving and people are just these overinflated and bloated claims about what's happening in education. And when I think about what what we're working on, the the movement that we're part of in terms of the nature connected learning movement, I think, you know, the idea of like, are we transforming? Is it revolutionary? I think really it's about saying this is about meaningful, doable, immediate changes that we can be making to make things right. And so that somehow is radical and revolutionary. And so in that way, yes, it's revolutionary, right? Because we are we are trying to get these super simple things integrated into common practice. And so what's happening is we have this simple solution being integrated into an extraordinarily complex landscape, right? The, edu- the, pu- the education landscape, I'll say, not even public, just like education <laughs> is extraordinarily fraught and it's extraordinarily complex from a systems perspective. And there's also all the humans within it. And each of us is individually quite complex. And so what I think is revolutionary is the idea of saying, how can this thing that we know is good for humans and we know is good for our planet, sort of, I think, in a pretty urgent moment for that, how can we take that and just be doing these simple things? And so yeah. it's really, about, in my mind, it's like thinking about these simple, simple changes. And then I go to the place that I think it really starts to feel truly revolutionary. Sometimes I feel a little bit, I feel like a little bit like tail between my legs sometimes about what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, like I think that it would be great if everybody just like walked outside their door and it feels so basic, right? When the problems are so staggering across society. And sometimes I feel like I'm not offering very much in that landscape. And then I think about it in aggregate and I'm like, wow, there are 3.5 million teachers, just teachers, not even educators, teachers, classroom teachers in the U.S. And if they were all doing these small changes, then their 50 million students would be a little bit more regulated every day and a little bit calmer. And they would be having something that was like a little bit less stressful and a little bit happier Mm -hmm. and more joyful in their learning. And that to me feels like a massive scale, right? And then if if you zoom out and you go global and you say there are 81 million primary and secondary school teachers in the world, if all of them are doing this, right, then we have 1.35 billion students who are, again, having these these very 
measurable and modest improvements day to day. And to me, like that is revolutionary when you're talking about that kind of scale. And so I think it's not, it's not overnight, even though some of the changes can be done literally tomorrow in teachers' classrooms, but it's not overnight when you try to reach all of these educators everywhere, when it's across that that much, that many people, it's hard to get that many people sort of on board with something. And then I think it's, so it's a long game, but as my, my colleague, with Good Nature Learning, Anna Harrison says it's like one teacher, one classroom, one school at a time. And it might seem small, but I think it is, no, I'm not going to say, but I'm going to say, and it might seem small and it is a actual tangible step towards being better. And that's exactly what I say in outdoor classrooms is if, what if every child in every single school had access to an outdoor classroom? Imagine. I mean, when I hear you say that, I'm like, Yes. I mean, I had the same question, right? And I think this is part of why we connected, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think but I think even if we go beyond that, like what if every child had like why is that an why is that an audacious question? Right. Like, it's so it's so basic, right? It's something so simple. It's not we don't need to invent anything, you know, we already like we Open know the how the door. To, Open the door. Yeah. And I think think that that is sometimes what's so mind-boggling for me is like, oh my gosh, this is really, really straightforward. And I know I'm not by any means diminishing the real long-term or longer-term barriers of schools in certain contexts, mm-hmm. right? There are mm-hmm. urban schools that have very little access mm-hmm. or no access to a safe nearby nature setting, right? Their outdoor classroom hopefully can be on their roof if no, nowhere else. And maybe there's not even, maybe that's not even an option, right? And And so what does that look like? Okay, well then you know, immediately I start by thinking about how do we bring nature indoors for those students immediately, right. Right? because we got to right. solve that problem now because there's students in those schools now. And then longer term, how do we work with the folks who are doing urban planning and policy to make sure that that is not the reality for any student? Because exactly what you said, every student should have an outdoor classroom. And, you know, in, in, in my mind, like new builds should say like, okay, what's our outdoor classroom structure look like? And then like, oh, we should probably have an indoor space that we can meet up as well in case, but that it's like, that's the order of operations rather than. And teacher training programs that teachers shouldn't come out of their degree programs unless they've been introduced to all these pedagogies. Oh my goodness. We could talk for for days. Is there anything else you want to share with our community? Again, we'll have to have you back on because there's just so much even within this podcast that we could unpack and and, uh, talk about. I think that the biggest things, the biggest messages I would just say is this this is, you know, and, and maybe I'm just reassuring myself when I say this, um, but I think like this is really meaningful. And and even though I say, I said, okay, like sometimes I find myself being a little bit, I don't know, down by like, oh, I'm just telling you to like put some posters of nature in your classroom if that's all you can do or play some bird song while your students are working or, you know, these really basic things that are the indoor pieces, or I'm asking you to like take your, you know, your test on clipboards outside and let, let students breathe fresh air if they're, if that is something that exists in your outdoor space, right? And sometimes I can feel really discouraged about it. But then I, I think about there's one teacher that um, I think about a lot who she took one of my early, early workshops in our school district in Lake County. And afterwards, she said, she came up to me and she said, no, actually, it was a couple of weeks later. I had no idea that she was having this reaction during the workshop, but because she really was good at covering it. But she came up to me and she said, Becca, I came to your workshop a couple a couple of weeks ago, and I have to tell you, I came because I thought what you were doing was a bunch of BS. And I was 
<laughs> I was sort of stunned because I was stunned because this teacher and I, I knew that the upshot of this conversation was going to be good, right? Because she, this teacher was taking her students out all the time, right? So by then I already like, I already knew that the punchline was like positive. So she wasn't there to tell me I was, I was full of, but she said to me, she said, I thought what you were doing was a bunch of BS. And then I decided to give it a try. And she's like, I like to attend things, professional development things that I just think are kind of full of it because then I can like poke holes in there or whatever. And she said, but I decided to give it a try with my students. And I have this student who never participated indoors, never, never engaged, was a total like falling asleep, head on their desk, disengaged kiddo. And they went out to the outdoor classroom and she was not doing what I would call sort of like deep nature-based learning in terms of like, there was no content about nature. She was teaching in uh, an ethics class and they just would go out to an outdoor classroom we had built outside that was tree stumps and a board, right? It was 15 feet from that school. And she took these students out there and this student turned into a leader. That yeah. student asked questions, that student participated, he came alive. And she she described the student to me and she said, you know, now I believe in different, you know, the there's a different theories of intelligences and different types of intelligence. And she was like, now I believe in this environmental intelligence because for this kid, like he was really coming alive. And she said, she asked, he was a ninth grade, a ninth grade kid, right? A ninth grade boy. And she asked him, why do you think you participate so much more in the outdoor classroom than you do indoors? And he said, I don't know. My brain just seems to turn on. Uh, uh, Yeah. Makes me cry. And so... (laughs) Exactly. Like there's, there's your why. And I think, I think you hear that kind of thing and you say, okay, this kiddo, maybe, maybe the things that we're talking about, like, Hey, can you move your class outside and sit on some tree stumps by this whiteboard that we've put right outside your building? And, you know, we think about this as like, so it sounds so small and so insignificant, I think. And then you hear a story like that and you're like, that wasn't insignificant for that kid. That wasn't even being multiplied by, you know, 50 million students in the U.S. But imagine if it were. Imagine yeah. if it. Were. Imagine if we have 50 million students who came alive, whose brains came alive because they were learning outdoors. Like that is that's revolutionary. So. That is revolutionary, and that is gives me goosebumps. That's one of the reasons why I got into outdoor classrooms. I had a very similar experience with a fifth grader that had never planted anything in the ground. When we were bulb planting, it, it was a shocker. So it it is. But I love how you frame that in terms of what if? What if we took all these students outside and their brains just came alive? Because that's exactly what the research is showing us. And I want to thank you for everything that you're doing and bridging that gap and your energy. And I want to let people know that you were in Colorado, but you're not there anymore. Can you let it, let them know where you are? I think it's so cool. I I am currently speaking to Victoria from, (laughs) from Nairobi, Kenya, and my family moved here a little over a year ago. And the exciting thing on this particular topic is that in five days, I am going to be launching with with a colleague here, my um, new collaborator, um, Mildred Obuya. We are launching a cohort of fellows here in Kenya and Nairobi. And so we have 15, no, 14 fellows coming to meet with us on Monday for a nature retreat here and apply these same same principles, right? The universality of humans and nature and the, you know, necessary connections that we need to re regenerate and re revive, I think is it's there and, and the, the possibility is there and the innovations will be different, right? We're talking about 
one of one of my educators in this fellowship, and I am really excited. I'll be excited to report back to you. One of the educators in this coming cohort has he's at a public school in an informal settlement here in Nairobi, and he has seventy six students in his classroom. So wow. um, I think that the applications and the way it looks and the the variations and manifestations of nature based learning when you are one educator teaching 76, I believe he's teaching second graders, but I'm still just about to meet all these fellows. So now I'm, they're all swimming around, their names are all swimming around in my head and which grade they teach, but young kids in having 76 young kids is something that I think most educators listening to your podcast are probably thinking, wow, that sounds bananas. And I'm really excited to see how it, how, how it comes to fruition and, and what, ways because he and all the fellows here are going to innovate ways and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to connect the fellows here to the fellows in Colorado and to your circle community and this broader because it is it's this network right and it's this movement and so how do we thread everybody together because yeah you know this is this is important work and um I take it both really seriously and really playfully because I think it is it's such joyful work um, even as it's really serious work and I feel the urgency, even as I feel the hope and purpose. So I think, yeah, like we can have this sense of purpose together and work together and and stitch people together across the globe. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for threading all of this together. Thank you for, it's just, it's your stories, your everything. I just can't say enough. This has been absolutely inspiring. I'm I'm actually kind of emotional. Because <laughs> kind of, I, I think there is that feeling of like, oh, it's just, but it, it is a much deeper, uh, deeper work. So again, uh, there's many, many more conversations to be had. And I'm just thrilled our paths have crossed. So thank you. Yeah, me that. too. Thanks for, thanks for being in this orbit and, and, you know, working on what you're doing. And, and I look forward to the ways that we'll collaborate and amplify and Uh, each other's work and efforts and everything else. I'm really glad we're connected. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us here at the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals, then actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversations. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month and you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us at Outdoor Classroom. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.